Welcome to Engaged Company Culture, a podcast directed at you, helping you to stop the employee exodus in your organization. This podcast has three different types of episodes. First, you have tips, tricks, observations, stories, research from me, Dr. Katherine Weiberg of Profitable Alignment. Second, interviews with other consultants, other coaches who are here to serve you so you can learn other tips and tricks to engaging your employees, to stop the employee exodus, to consciously create and continue a company culture where people want to be and where they encourage other people to come to work and to become your customers. Third, I interview other business leaders who have engaged company cultures and want to share their stories. You might learn from them how they have applied principles of company culture to increase their employee retention, increase their profits, increase their productivity, and increase everyone's job satisfaction. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Engaged Company Culture by Profitable Alignment. I am Dr. Catherine. Today, I have the opportunity of interviewing Mr. Paul Fortune. His company is A Call to Action. Paul actually has a really interesting story. He works with both individuals and companies, but it is based on his early life. Paul was born with cerebral palsy. It was so severe that doctors told his mom he would never walk. Thank goodness for a wonderful mom and a great mindset. That was not his story. He was able to overcome it and is now able to live an extremely active life. It wasn't easy, however, for him to get to this point. Today, as a mindset coach, Paul shares his story with his clients to help them rewrite their own stories and go after their true dreams and desires. As I talk with Paul, you are going to understand how he applies all of his mindset coaching, both to individuals and organizations. Paul, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here today. Dr. Catherine, it's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure talking with you today. <laughs> Thank you. I first wanted to find out what was it like for you growing up with cerebral palsy and getting to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, so if your viewers don't know what cerebral palsy is, it's lack of oxygen to the brain at labor. And as a result of this lack of oxygen to the brain at labor, it can leave one side of the body paralyzed. and um, when I was born, I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much. And obviously my mom was very concerned about that. So she got me to the doctors and that's where I was diagnosed where I did have cerebral palsy and mentioned in my bio, this doctor thought that cerebral palsy was so severe that he thought I would never, ever be able to walk. Um, I've had many conversations with my mom about this. And when she heard that news originally, it devastated her cried herself to sleep, wondering what the life was going to be for her baby boy. 
she told me that next morning when she woke woke up and got me ready for the day. She said that I gave her a look, a look if to say, mom, do not let this be my story. I want to be able to walk. And that mama bear inside of her started raging. She got a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion, finally found a physician willing to help us. And with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy five to six times a week and my mom's unrelentless attitude to make sure I walked, I was walking between age two and three. Now, I don't really remember that very much, but I remember being put into soccer roughly when I was about five years old. And at the time, I probably could run about 25 to 50 yards before my, my leg would give out. So basically on the soccer field, I'm standing there where kids are playing soccer around me. And I'll never forget one day after, one day after practice, I was going to go to my mom and tell my mom, I don't want to play soccer anymore. Kids are making fun of me. I'm not having fun. I'm done. And I'll remember what my mom told me because it has stuck with me to this day. She said, Paul, if you do not want to play soccer anymore, that is fine but you need to honor your commitments. So you need to finish out that soccer season. And if you don't want to play soccer after that, that is, that is fine. And I've kept that mantra all my life, whether that be my personal life, whether or not my business life, where I, if I make a commitment, I honor it, then I evaluate it and, and move forward. So I finished out that soccer season. I'm 41 years old. I haven't played soccer since that season, but I did finish it out. Uh, but I got a big break uh, roughly after that soccer season. I got surgery on my right foot to give me a little bit more spring in my step, to get, uh, almost to take away that pain. Well, almost. It did take away that pain that I was feeling when I was running. And this surgery was a game changer for me. I didn't know how big it was until uh, my first day at PE. I switched schools at this time physical education, we did our stretches and the teacher says, okay, guys, run a lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. I'm going to run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to have to stop. These kids are going to see that. They're going to start to tease me. But because of the surgery was different, I went past that point where I normally have to stop. And I remember saying to myself, come on, Paul, come on, buddy. You got this. You got this. You got this. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But the inside, I was like, yes, yes, yes. The first time in my young life where I fit in, I didn't stand out. I felt so great about myself. And yes, because of the surgery, things got easier for me, but I wouldn't consider them easy. Uh, my parents got divorced roughly when I was about 12 or 13 years old. So I had to switch schools. And that's a tough age to switch schools. Kids are going through hormonal changes. They're becoming teenagers. And a lot of these kids have been going to school with each other for years and years. So they've already formed their cliques. So they don't have time for anybody new. Well, I'm somebody new, plus I walk with a limp and hold my right arm differently, so it was even tougher for me. It was hard for me to make any friends. I, I was bullied, tackled, spit on, you name it, they did it to me. It was just a rough time in my life. And while this was going on, um, I was raised Catholic, so my mom wanted me to go to Catholic high school. So I did take an assessment test, see they were going to place me when I got to high school. Well, Dr. Catherine, I must have bombed it because when I met with the principal and my mom, the principal tells the both of us that she's going to put me at the lowest level possible and she doesn't expect much from me. I don't seem like I'm college material. After one test, I'm, I've been told this. So not only am I being bullied and teased in school, now I think I'm stupid. I'm crying myself to sleep most nights going, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I just be like every other kid? And I don't know what came over me. 
But the start of eighth grade, I was sick and tired of being angry and sad all the time. I knew those weren't my go-to emotions, but because in the environment I was in, those were the two emotions that were coming up most of the time for me. So I thought to myself, what could I do to distract me from those feelings? And I thought, what if I set a goal for myself, focused in on that goal, and that will help me ignore all the noise that I was facing outside of that? And I thought, well, what could the goal be? And at the time, I loved baseball. So I made a goal for myself to try to make my varsity baseball team. And while I'm going through this journey, I'm playing fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was throwing tennis balls against the wall. I was doing all this. And I remember this coach coming to me one day after practice and go, Paul, you play a lot of baseball. Do you have any goals with that? And I didn't want to tell the coach at the time that my goal was to make my varsity baseball team because I didn't want him to laugh at me. So I said, oh, no, I just like playing baseball. He kept asking me that question. Finally, he, kept me, he caught me at a weak moment, and I blurted out I wanted to make my varsity baseball team in high school. And I was bracing myself for him to, to laugh at me, but he didn't. He paused for a second, and he said, that's doable. And I'm like, what? That's doable? I can make my varsity baseball team? He goes, yeah. He goes, but other people need to keep you accountable for this goal. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, after practice tomorrow, you're going to go in front of the team and you're going to tell the team that's your goal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Finally, they accepted me and I'm going to tell them that they're going to start making fun of me again. And he goes, Paul, if you want to make this goal, other people need to lift you up when you're, when you're down, you got to have a tribe helping you to make this goal. So reluctantly after practice, the next day I'm shaking. And I told the team, I want to make my varsity baseball team. And uh, again, I was bracing myself for them to laugh at me but they didn't. They clapped for me. And I know this now. I didn't know this when I was going through this, but I started sending a different energy out towards these kids. I started carrying myself with more confidence, my shoulders back, my head up. And as a result of this new energy that I was sending out to these kids, kids started sending a different energy back towards me. Instead of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. So my high school career was much different than my junior high, middle school career, all because of the energy that I was sending out. And that alone is the win. But the cherry on top was I was able to make my varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. And the senior year, they poured the Gatorade on me. And I felt so alive because I pitched a three-hit shutout. I, I was on the top of the world. I graduate high school. And I start to really think about that goal that I set for myself. When I first made that goal, I thought that I wasn't going to make the varsity baseball team. It was just some way to kind of ignore the noise. But I was able to do that. So I started to think about what that principal said to me years earlier about me not being college material. See, all through high school, I just mailed it in. I just did enough to stay eligible to play baseball because in the back of my head, I was like, you know, what's the point? I'm not college material. Just do enough to get by and, and move, move on. So my grades weren't that great. But I thought, wow, if I was able to make this goal happen, why can't I set another goal for myself to say that I am college material? So I enrolled into a junior college because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. I got myself a math tutor because I wasn't very good in math. I got myself a tutor in another subject. I went to the math lab. I did everything necessary to increase that grade point average. And with this, all this hard work, I took my barely a 2.0, if not even a little bit lower, all the way to 3.5, where I was able to transfer to a four-year university and graduate and become college material. And I so wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, see, you were wrong. I was college material. You didn't know what you're talking about. But you know what? I should probably thank this principal because all through college, 
All I heard was her voice saying, I wasn't college material. And my next thought was, I'm going to show you that I am. So it really helped me hit the books very, very hard. So I forgiven. I move on. I'm 22, 23 years old. I have no life experience whatsoever. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with my life. I had this family friend who was in the uh, who was in the mortgage business. He was a CEO of a small bank, and he said, "Hey, we're hiring mortgage loan officers. You want to try give it a try?" And I'm like, "I got nothing going on. Let's go. Let's give it a let's give it a go. Let's give it a try." And I'm so excited because this is my first real job. I mean, I had several other jobs working fast food places, golf courses, all this other stuff. But this was the first time where I had to really dress up and be an adult and go to work. So I was very excited about coming into work. And I get in there and I'm happy. And I quickly realized that no one in this company wants to talk to me. I'm like, I'm sitting alone at lunch. I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? And I quickly realized what the issue was. Everybody in the company knew I knew the CEO of the company. So it wasn't because of my talents, it's because of who I knew. So in their, in their eyes, I didn't belong there. So they were going to chew me up and spit me out. So I, I said to myself, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove that I do belong there. So I dug in. I had a positive attitude. I didn't uh, complain about the workload. And from afar, because they didn't want to talk to me, I was observing what to top loan officers did in the company. And uh, so uh, uh, I... I, I start to really, really start to kind of think I understand what's going on. And uh, I think to myself, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go out in the field and get loans for the first time. So I'm, I got my rate sheets ready and I'm going to go out the door and I'm going to start selling loans. And the CEO of the company, he, he sees me and he stops me and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm going to go out and get loans. He's like, no, let's get you some more training and let's get you out there. And I'm like, no, 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 I got this, I got this, let me go. And he's like, okay. So I go out there and he was 100% right. I needed more training. I wasn't ready. I was falling flat on my face left and right. It was hard. But months would go by and I started to realize what value I could add to these clients. And I started bringing in loans and more loans and more loans. And two years later, I became a top producer in this company. And the people that didn't want to talk to me when I first got there are now coming to me with questions on how I was able to turn things around at such a fast clip. And I learned a valuable lesson after that. Never, I will never, ever judge, my, judge somebody else by somebody else's opinion about them. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because who knows what, where their opinion is coming from. And, and, uh, there was times in that two-year period where I wasn't getting treated well, where I thought about quitting. And I made millions and millions of dollars for this company. And this company would have lost out on millions and millions of dollars, all because of the culture. So I said to myself, going forward, if I, I'm, I'm working with somebody new, whether it be in my personal life, whether it be in my business life, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to go by somebody else's opinion about them. I'm going to make my own opinion about them by their actions and what, and what they say to me. And that's how I'm going to judge people on. So I'm really loving the, the mortgage industry. I thought this was going to be my, my life's work. I was having a great time. Then 2008, 2009 hit and the economy tanked it. And this whole company that I was working for, that company just went belly up. And I have to find another job. And that whole company went belly up. This happened three or four times. So I really started to lose the luster of being in the business. 
But the last place I was at, they brought in this motivational speaker to kind of pump us up, get the sales numbers up. And um, after the presentation, I was blown away by him. He was just tremendous. So after the presentation, I went up to him and said how great of a job he did. And he was very, very gracious. He, picked, he allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. He said he started as a life coach. I'm like, life coach? What in the heck is that? And he explained that to me. And like, you know what? Maybe I want to start to get into that. So on the off time of doing the mortgage stuff, I was getting my coaching certificate. I was telling people this is what I wanted to do. And people were kind of humoring me going, okay, buddy, go ahead and save the world. But before you save the world, why don't you get a couple mortgage loans in there, will you? So they weren't really taking me too seriously. But then I started getting my website up and my, I started posting things on my social media and the legal team that I was at with at the time catches wind of what I was doing. And they come to me and go, what are you doing? And I was very transparent. I told them exactly what I was going to do. This is the mortgage industry was my full-time job. And this is going to be my, my side, my side work. And they're like, this could be a conflict of interest. We're, we're going to have to get back to you. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good. And they came back with this five-page report of what I could and couldn't say. And I looked at this report, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make any traction in the coaching world if I follow this to the T. So I had to make some changes. So for a year, I didn't do anything with coaching. I just did everything mortgage. I paid down my debts. I did everything to just get everything out of the way so that I could take this leap of faith. And a year later, I quit. And people are looking at me like, you are crazy. You just made President's Club. You are a mortgage loan officer. You're great at what you do. This life coaching thing is pie in the sky nonsense. You're, this is not going to work. And I go, maybe so, but I got to give it a chance. I got to do it. I have to. And they're like, okay, you'll be back. And for a while, I, I, I thought they were right. I thought I was going to have to come back because I, I wasn't getting speaking engagements. I wasn't getting any clients. It was really, really tough. But then I, I, I did some soul searching and I, I quickly, or not quickly, but I realized what the, the big issue was. How do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? See, the story I told you about having cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. I don't want to tell a soul about that story because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. I didn't want to stand out. I wanted to be like everybody else. So the thought of me bringing up that story, I'd be near in tears, but I thought to myself, there's no way that, that, that I'm going to make any traction on that if I don't open up and tell my own story so that they understand where I'm coming from. So I started telling my story on podcasts and different people and anywhere I could tell the story. And at first it was real shaky because there was a lot of emotion behind it, but I kept telling it over and over again, and it kind of took out the emotion of it where I could just express my story. And I'll never forget it. My first client ever comes to me and goes, Paul, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I have X, Y, and Z. And I'd be honored if I could hire you. And we've been building new coaching clients and we've been building speaking engagements. And then we're all about, like you said, taking back our pen and rewriting our story and writing the story that we want to live, not for anybody else, but for ourselves. And that brings me to the present day talking with you, Dr. Catherine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everything that you said, I find myself thinking of, of course, as you would expect, my own story of becoming who I am, mm -hmm. my conscious choices. In fact, I went to a high school where I did not know anybody on purpose so that I could recreate myself the way I wanted to be. 
I had felt bullied. I had felt outcast. I went to a high school where I didn't know anybody so that I could choose how I was known and who I was. And it made all the difference. I've been doing it since. I talk to people about reframe, rewrite, redesign. It's very similar to your take back your pen. Look at things in a new light. You look at your cerebral palsy and say, wow, that's actually a blessing because of everything it made of me, because you developed strengths intentionally. You already had the talent of grit that was both inborn and taught to you. You already had that innate desire and you also had the ability to find what you loved and build on it. I love your story of being in mortgages, getting in there because of who you knew and then showing everybody what you could learn and what you could do and then becoming a go-to. You changed the company culture just by being there and the company perception. It's plausible that the CEO always wanted everybody to be inclusive and encouraging. And yet that was not everybody's natural inclination. But to use your vernacular, you took back your pen, you wrote the loans, you wrote your future, and then you were able to springboard it. You rewrote and redesigned, and now you're doing that for everybody else. I love it. I also know that in addition to the individuals, you do talk specifically about culture. You talk about how companies can help their employees write their own stories and how organizations can rewrite their stories. I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you work with organizations. Yeah, so first off, especially in the mortgage industry, I work for great companies and I work for not so good companies. And the difference was the culture of the company. I've been in companies where I lived for Mondays. I couldn't wait to get to work on Monday because it was just so much fun and we get so much work done and it was great. And I enjoyed every moment of it. And I've been in other companies where I had what's called, which I call, I didn't make this up, the Monday blues. And the Monday blues happens uh, Sunday afternoon to Sunday evening where you stop ha having fun with your friends and family and you start stressing about Monday morning. I've had that too. And I would rather live for Mondays. So in my talks with, with these companies in these organizations, we talk about that. We talk about changing that culture where, where people want to come to work, where they enjoy it. And when they start to enjoy what they do, they become your best recruiter because they're contacting their friends and family saying, you got to work for this company. This company is great. And all of a sudden, as, as the company owner or, or senior management, all of a sudden, you have the pick of the litter on who you want to hire. You know, we're in a situation right now where it's the great resignation and people want to leave. And, it, and the biggest reason for that is not because of pay, because there's plenty of companies that are paying big money. It has to do with the work culture and not feeling like you, that you belong there, that you're an accepted. And, and that's what needs to be changed. We, we, we need to 
look at people as human beings and not as numbers. And what happens when you start looking at people as human beings as opposed to numbers, the profit will be there because a happy employee is a productive employee. So we got to look at things in a different way. And we got to look at the human side of things. Like, for instance, if, you know, somebody comes to you, you know, and says, uh, you know, I got to go, I got to take my kid to work, you know, and, and, and this is not all the time, but every now and again, this might happen where, you know, they have, they have obligations with their, their kids and they have to go early. And there could be in a situation where you really need that employee to stay because the workload is a, a certain amount. But if you look at it as a human being and go, go, I know, I know, or, you know, this person, the boss could have kids too and go, you know what, I know I, I've been in a situation like that, go, I'll handle it and take care of it rather than throw a fit and go, oh, I got the, too much work. You can't go this and that. You look at the human being because I'll tell you what happens when you do that. When you do that, when you need a favor, when the, there needs to be overtime meant, that person's going to remember that you give them that break. They're going to go, you know what? They, they, they went to bat for me over here. I'm going to go to bat for them here. I know they really need me. I'm going to work the overtime. I really don't really want to, but I want to do it for, for, my, for my boss because I know he has my back. And as a result, I want to have his back. Thank you. That brings to my mind exactly the same kind of thing. I, you're singing my song, Paul. <laughs> you're singing my song. It, it has to be recognition of people as people. I habitually talk about find your employees' strengths and encourage those strengths. Find where people like to be. It's more than the job description. It's who are they and what do they bring? And that's how you can create the complementary teams where people who have different strengths can build off of each other. It's recognizing that human factor. Also, as you were talking, I thought of two different companies that I worked for at different times in my life. The first company completely understood family has to be a priority and we know that you will be here. I had a couple of different days where something happened at home and I had to leave. I checked in with my manager who said, go, just go take care of it. Come back when you're ready. You can make up the time. You can make up the work. It's good. Go. At another location, I had some things that were planned with family that were planned in advance of me taking that employment I went to my manager and I said, this was pre-planned. And my manager said, no, you can't go. I need people who are going to be here at the office. I need somebody in your position who will be here. It very much felt like a threat of if you go on this thing that you had planned six months before you started working here, you will be fired. And whether or not that would have totally been acted on, it felt so oppressive. And I did not want to be there. I would get sick Sunday night knowing I was going into work on Monday. Whereas this other place, I would get excited. It, it was hard pressed for me not to work overtime for them because I knew that they not only wanted what was good for the clients I was contacting, but they cared about me as an individual. 
and they would allow my job to mutate a little bit based on what I did well and where my passions lay and how could I work with other people in my organization to meet the organizational needs and we could build on each other. It was dramatic and it was huge. The overall culture in those two businesses, the feeling was dramatic. I completely agree with you that culture matters. It's Monday blues or yay, it's Monday. I get to go back to work. The cool thing is, as you and I both know, companies can consciously change, create, and continue the culture that they want so that people want to be there. And there are so many things. You have tools. I have tools. There are so many things, and you can just start small. What is the one advice that you would give to businesses to start small to help them create the culture where employees look forward to Mondays? This is a small thing, but it's a big thing. Big, big, big. And it's listening to your employees, listening, allow them to have a voice. That is huge. If you have an employee that comes out of a meeting and saying, wow, I feel value, they're listening to me. That makes so much difference because what happens there is their minds are going to start to roll and they're going, okay, what else can I do to help? What, what creation can I go with? because they value it. I, I want to make sure this company goes well here because I love what I'm doing here and, and they value me. So listening to the employee is a small thing, but it's huge, huge. Even if, you know, even if the suggestion you think may not work, at least listen to it, at least listen to it. And one thing that, that happens a lot, especially if you're in a company a long time and you, may, you might be successful in this company, and you have a certain way of you, you do things, right? You, this is what you've been doing at this company for years and years. You understand what it is. And then somebody new comes, comes along from another, another company and they did things a different way. And they come up with a new idea. And, you know, the first instinct is to shut it down. No, no, no. We've been doing it this way for so long. No, 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 no. Listen to the idea. Because you know what? It may be more efficient. You never know. So listening is huge. If you do not do anything else, but just do that, you're going to change the culture. Perfect. Thank you. I actually have a couple of different tools that I share with my clients, ob observing in meetings to understand your company culture, the way you can get feedback from your employees so that you understand what they're coming to. It's all recognition. It goes right along with what you're saying. I This is why I wanted you on the podcast, because you and I, although we have a slightly different angle and a slightly different approach, it's all about recognizing that people make organizations successful and organizations that help their people become successful and create that alignment automatically have an increase in profits. 100%. Like I said, a happy employee is a productive employee and that helps profits. Exactly. 
Paul, what is the best way for people to reach out to you to either have you for speaking or workshops or coaching? How can they reach you best? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is through my website. It's a call to a call to action coach. And I even have an ebook on there, a free ebook that you can download on how you can rewrite your own story and how I was able to re rewrite my story. So it's on there, a call to action coach. Fantastic. Paul, thank you so much for spending time. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off this episode? Yeah, I would like to say this. Every single person has a unique talent. It's up to us to find out what that talent is. And once we find out what that talent is, it's up to us to share it with the world to see. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, for being here. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And everybody who loved this episode, please like it, share it, reach out to Paul, reach out to me. We are here to help you have an engaged company culture. Thank you for listening to or viewing today's engaged company culture episode. I hope you have enjoyed the episode. I hope you have learned something and have something that you can apply today to engage your company culture and encourage your employees to enjoy work. Looking forward to Mondays instead of only looking forward to Fridays. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone else you know. Also, like and subscribe to Engaged Company Culture anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you and have a wonderful day.